Hi, I'm Anna Myers. This is Chapter 23 of the Okie Bookcast. To the red country and part of the gray country of Oklahoma, the last rains came gently, and they did not cut the scarred earth. In an old house in Paris that was covered with vines, with twelve little girls in two straight lines. In the light of the moon, a little egg lay on a leaf. Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. Hi everybody, and welcome to Chapter 23 of the Okie Bookcast. I'm Jay Hall, and I'm here to connect you with your next great read by introducing you to Oklahoma authors and stories. I've got an incredibly fun conversation for you today with Oklahoma writing legend Anna Myers, and then a special treat as Anna's daughter, Oklahoma author Jenny Myers-Sane, reviews one of Anna's books. It's a family affair today on the bookcast. If you've spent any time around Oklahoma children's literature, you've heard the name Anna Myers. Anna has published 19 novels, mostly historical fiction for middle grade readers, and a picture book. She's a four-time Oklahoma Book Award winner for her books Red Dirt Jesse, Graveyard Girl, Assassin, and Spy. She received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Oklahoma Center for the Book in 2012 and was inducted into the Oklahoma Writers Hall of Fame in 2013. Anna spent 22 years as a junior high English teacher and loves sharing her passion for words and learning with students and writers of all ages. You're going to hear that passion and her teacher's heart throughout our conversation. We talk about Anna's writing career, her process, some tips for young writers, and she shares her firm belief in the power of story. It was an honor and a joy to sit down with Anna. She has a big personality and is a fantastic storyteller, and I think you're going to love hearing our time together. Anna, thanks so much for taking some time to sit down with me today. It is an honor to meet you. It's very nice to be here. Let's start with your story. Tell us a little bit about you and how you became an author. I became an author because I love stories. My mother and father grew up together in the hills of eastern Oklahoma, and I frequently tell people that I am influenced more by the fact that I am the daughter of two hillbillies than by anything else. And my mother used to sing a a lot uh, as she did her housework and she would sing way down yonder in the Indian nation. I rode my pony on the reservation in the Oklahoma Hills where I was born. I never lived in those hills, but as a child, uh, we moved not a terrible lot, but occasionally, but I always felt when we drove down there and I could see the sight of those blue hills in the distance that I too was coming home. And Mm. everyone down there told stories. We would sit in my grandmother's yard at night. She had moved down from the hills to the little tiny town at the foot. And we would sit in that yard and they would all tell stories. And I knew before I was old enough to actually express the words that I would grow up and write those stories down. Wow. And the other thing that, as far as story that influenced me so much was the fact that I had five older siblings and they read aloud to me constantly Hmm. because they adored me. No, (laughs) (laughs) because I stood in front of them when I saw them with a book and hit at their toes and said, read to me, read to me, read to me until they did. And they didn't read little kids books. I don't know if we even had any, they read whatever they were reading to themselves 
And so I heard a great many, I heard all the Anne of Green Gables books before I went to school. I heard uh, Robin Hood and the Green Lantern and whatever my older, couple of my older brothers were reading. And I loved, loved, loved stories. Given that you had this idea that you were going to be writing from a very early age, when did you write your first story? Didn't not necessarily something published, but just the first time that you you came up with something on your own. <laughs> I was six years old, and it was the summer before I went to first grade, and we didn't have kindergarten in those days. And the only thing I could write was my first name, and I think that was because there were only two letters to capture A N N A. But I wanted to write a book. So I dictated it to one of my older sisters, and she wrote it down for me. And you would think that a six-year-old might write about bunnies or kitty cats, but I was interested in men's action adventure. And the name of my book was The Long-Bearded Man, and it was about a man who would put a dollar on the doorstep, ring the doorbell, wait until someone came to bend over to get the dollar, and then he would kick that person in the stomach take his dollar and one dollar from the person he kicked. He only took one, no matter how much they had. And then he would go next door and do it again. And uh, that was a very successful venture because I charged each of the five older siblings, including the one who wrote it down for me, a quarter apiece to read it. <laughs> and I made a dollar and 25 cents. And that was big money. Yeah. If you could get that return now, you'd take it, right? Oh, yeah, you bet. <laughs> so as you transitioned and, and began to think about doing this as more of a career, not that making a dollar 25 at six wasn't a career, but <laughs> who were some of your early influences? Were there writers that you looked up to and thought, I want to be like that? Oh, there were so many. Um, for years, I did nothing but think about it and then talk about it. And that took a long, long time. But all during that time, of course, I was reading. I read The Yearling. I read To Kill a Mockingbird. Read it practically the day it came out. I always read history more. I read everything, actually, except horror. I don't like blood. <laughs> I like a good mystery and a thriller, but I've always tended to read historical more than anything else. And I'm sure that's why I ended up writing it when I finally got around to writing. I quit talking about writing when I realized that um, my late husband and I had had three children in four years. He worked for the state of Oklahoma, and I was a teacher, and we could barely afford to send them to high school at once, let alone college. And so when I realized that, I started to work, and it's a good thing I did because it took me seven years to sell my first book. Wow. And the first book did sell just as the first kid was ready to go to college. And it's not by far the only reward I got, but it was the thing that pushed me into finally working toward my dream. I'm afraid I'd rather sit and talk about interesting things than actually work at it. <laughs> what year was that that your first book was published? Uh, it was uh, published in 1992. Okay. And I never got just a cold rejection letter. I always got, oh, we might be interested in this. Change, blah, blah. And one woman kept one of my 
manuscripts for 11 months, but they'd always say, we don't want, we just can't take a chance on you. You're an unknown. Mm. Those people are regretting that decision now. (laughs) You mentioned some early things that you read that were influential. As you think about writers now, are there particular authors that you read and and think, man, I, I want to write like that, or they've really got something that's interesting that I want to try to pick up on? Oh, yes. Uh, what I'm interested in doing now is something very different than I've ever done. Uh, okay. I read a lot for that purpose to watch. One of my favorite, very favorite books is a book called uh, The Book Thief. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of reasons it's one of my favorite, but it has the best closing line of any book I've ever read, and that I've read a lot of books. It's narrated by death, and the last line of the book says, a last note from your narrator, I am haunted by humans. Mm. I am haunted by humans. And that's the comment after the death as an old woman of the girl who is the main character. It's a beautiful story. It is. It is. That that fantastic book, one of my favorites. You have talked a little bit about just story and and obviously was a big part of your childhood and, and your adulthood as you've been writing them. Talk a little bit about why this idea of the power of story is such an important uh, part of who you are and, and such a big idea for you? I don't think people realize the power of story. Hmm. Story is, in fact, in my opinion, and I'm pretty much right, if you don't mind my saying so. <laughs> Not at all. Story is the second most powerful force in the world, second only to love. There is nothing else as strong as story. And we wouldn't know an awful lot about love were it not for story. We'd only know what we experience in our own life. Even every religious book is, every religion has a book filled with stories. Hmm. And mankind has wanted to tell stories since before he had language. That's why he drew pictures on the wall. And it's such a powerful force. It can absolutely change people's lives. It can transform their lives. I did a school visit once and I was signing a book I wrote called Assassin about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And I noticed the eighth graders were in there having their book signed. And I noticed a pretty little redheaded girl who was kind of hanging back and and I could tell she wanted to talk to me, but she didn't want to do it in front of the others. Mm. So when the other kids were gone, she brought her book up for me to sign. And she said, I knew Abraham Lincoln had to die, but I kept hoping for a way out. Oh, wow. And I thought, wow, that is the power of story. You can know full well that Abraham Lincoln has to die, but just maybe he won't. (laughs) And if he doesn't, you'll feel so much better. (laughs) Story has the power to convince you of all sorts of things. I know of a, a man who sat beside his dying niece's bed and read to her 
And he said she knew she was dying and he knew she was dying, but they both wanted to know what happened in the story. Hmm. It's a very, very powerful force. That's incredible. I want to talk a little bit, and, and you've mentioned uh, your focus on historical fiction. What is it about that genre that has kind of grabbed you really throughout your career? I think it's simply because that's where my love of story came. My parents didn't tell stories, and their their siblings, their, they grew up together as neighbors, so their siblings all knew one another, and they would all gather on both sides of the family in that grandmother's yard. She was the only surviving grandparent. They, they didn't tell stories about what was going on today. They told stories about what happened in those hills when they were children, mm-hmm. even before they were born, because they told the stories that had been handed down to them. And then I... I the things I loved best to read were never set in my time. And it was a window into a different life. Yeah. And as I got older, I didn't want to write about what I saw today. <laughs> it was an escape for me also. <laughs> So you write historical fiction for middle grade readers. So you've mentioned eighth graders a couple of times, and and that's obviously an important age group to you as you you taught them. What is it about that group that you want to write for? I guess it's the same reason I ended up wanting to teach them. I taught high school before we had children for about six years, I think it was. And then when the first baby was born, I stayed home until they were all three ready to go to school. And when I was ready to go back to work, there was only one job in the little town of Chandler, Oklahoma, where we lived, that was open, and it was at the junior high. And I thought, oh, well, I'll take it until something opens at the high school, and then I'll transfer. And although I always missed high school literature, my favorite line of literature uh, is from something I taught the first year that I taught and that was high school. I always missed the literature of high school. I fell in love with junior high age kids. Mm. I felt that you didn't really change a high school kid's life. You built it on what was already there. And I'm not saying you couldn't influence them greatly, but you didn't really change anyone. Uh, But in junior high, they were so so full of energy and so full of everything from terribleness. I mean, they were (laughs) horrible to each other, Uh, but they were all so possible to reach. And I just loved that age. And I still do. It was such a cool time because they are in transition. Yes. So they have moments where they think they're 25. Yeah. And then they have moments where they think they're five. Yeah. And they want to be five. Yes. Yeah. And so just that opportunity to watch them navigate that and and catch those moments where they aren't being horrible to each other and they really are kind of being open and maybe even a little bit human. I mentioned to you, I worked with junior and high school kids for a lot of years and junior high kids were always my favorite for the same reasons you're talking about. Yeah. That kind of wild unpredictability uh, is fun and also a bit maddening sometimes. Yes. So I, I have to ask, because you said your favorite line in literature was from high school, and then you didn't tell us what it was. So what uh, is that line? When I was barely 22, I was teaching um, Our Town. I remember so clearly when I 
we read the line from the book aloud. You're 21 or 22. You make some decisions and poof, you're 70. Hmm. And I was 22 and beginning to make some decisions, but I had no idea how so very true that line was. And there were so many other lines in that play that influenced my life so much. In fact, what my sister, who also taught English, accuses me of having um, replaced the Bible with our town Uh, (laughs) because... uh, I quote it so much and use it as a guide. It's my very favorite. Talking about junior high age kids, middle grade reading. One of the things that's interesting about your work is that you write for this age group, but you don't shy away from difficult themes. So, for example, your book, Tulsa Burning, talks about uh, it talks about death. It talks about poverty. It talks about race in a way that doesn't talk down to kids, it's very open, but is also very accessible to them. Talk a little bit about your just process and and way of thinking about how to share those big ideas in a way that younger kids can grasp. Well, perhaps because I had always taught that age or for many years had taught that age, um, I knew they didn't need to be talked down to. Hmm. They don't need to be babied. They don't want to be babied. They know more about life sadly, most of them, than I do uh, from experience that I I always said I I was glad that I had kids big enough in class that wouldn't tell me the terrible truths of their life because Mm. if they did, I couldn't stand at the board and try to teach them to diagram a sentence. And so I knew that they knew there are no secrets and that It's just a matter of writing in such a way that won't frighten the gatekeepers that were going to ruin kids by the kind of books they read. They're not going to read anything in the book that they don't probably already know or have seen written on the desk in their (laughs) classroom. I used to, when I would have the class reading a book that might have a word or two in it that I knew they'd love to run and show their parents and say, oh, look at this bad word. (laughs) I would hold up the book I wanted them to read, and I would always say, now, if there are words in here that offend you or that you don't want to use at Sunday school and you're just shocked by them, come and let me know, and we'll just put this one away for you. And I'd hold up the yearling, which is about 500 pages, and I'd say, you can read this one instead. And you know I never had one kid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not surprised by that. Talk a little bit about your, your writing process. We've talked about kind of some of the thought processes that go into it. When you sit down to start working, What does that look like for you? I am a writer. Not everyone does this. Jenny is one who does it, my daughter. Um, But I write my first draft as quickly as I can. I don't write it badly on purpose, but I don't try to make it. I just get it down. I don't worry about writing it right. I worry about getting it written because I've known so many people who, including my late husband, he was the writer in the family, not me. He could write so beautifully. And Jenny and Ben inherited a lot of his talent. 
and he started he started so many novels, beautiful, beautiful novels, hmm. but he never, never finished them. And so I believe in just getting it down. To me, writing the first draft is like building a wall. You can't choose a color. You can't. You can choose a color, but you can't paint the wall until it's built. You can't hang up the pictures to make it pretty until it's built. Those things you do in revision. Hmm. But the first draft is getting that wall up there, and I don't like it. I don't like the first draft. I find <laughs> it's very hard. I love the revision, but I have to get that wall built first. Do you have a a time frame when, when you sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write the next book? Do you have an idea of I want to finish it in three weeks or I want to finish it in six weeks? Or is it just, it's going to get out as fast as I can get it out? Well, when I first began to write, I was also teaching. So mm-hmm. I always wrote a book in the summer. And I know I can do that. I, As my mother would say, I lollygag now. Because I've got plenty of time, uh, which is not good. I like to have a deadline. I don't anymore. And I like, I work better under pressure. Hmm. So I like to have a deadline. You've had a 30-year career of publishing. Have you seen that process develop over time? Or do you still, I mean, obviously you don't just have to write in the summers anymore. But beyond that, have you seen it develop? Have you seen it change? Or are you still basically the same writer you were in 1992. Well, that's the reason I haven't sold many books lately. I still want to write historical fiction, hmm. but historical fiction is not popular with no. kids in kids publishing anymore. And publishing is like fashion. It'll come back, but whether or not I'll be writing by then, I don't know. You've had such a distinguished career and there are a ton of young writers across the state and across the country who hear your name and and look up to you and and see you as an important influence. If you could give a couple of pieces of advice to a young writer who was just getting started, what would it be? A couple of pieces. One is find the right story. It has to be something that makes you go, yeah, Hmm. not just something that someone I used to, especially when I was doing a lot of traveling and a lot of speaking, would have so many suggestions. Oh, you should write about this or you should write about that. And I'd say, thank you. But every once in a great while, I'd say, oh, thank you. Because (laughs) the story idea would get me. And I always tell people, don't try to get a story idea. Let a story idea get you. And the other thing is... Don't feel you can wait till you're in the mood to write. I taught eighth grade for a long time, eighth grade English. And had I stood outside the door and waited till I was in the mood to go in there, (laughs) uh, it would never have happened. But my principal would not have accepted, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not in the mood. And, you know, after I went in and started working with them and writing sentences on the board and slapping that one and hugging that one and making that one laugh. And I got very much in the mood. And that's the way writing is. You can't wait until you get in the mood. You start to write and you'll get in the mood. 
and you have to be willing to work hard and be willing to learn. Some people think that what they write down is sacred, and because they can read, they can write. There's always so much to learn. Do you have an exercise or something that you do on those days when you're not in the mood and you sit down and say, okay, I'm going to do it anyway? Is there something you use to help you get motivated to really get into it, or do you just sit down and start banging? I just sit down and start banging. One thing I always do is pretend I'm the character. Hmm. I mean, I just, you have to become the character. Yeah. I want to shift gears uh, into our final questions that we ask all of our guests. The first question is this, Anna, what's a genre that you love to read? And we've talked about history and some other things. Uh, Give us a couple of recommendations for authors or books. Okay. I've already mentioned um, The Book Thief. Um, the war that now these are kids' books mostly. I read adult right. books too. I read both. Uh, the war that saved my life uh, is a wonderful kids' book, and it is historical fiction published not too long ago, maybe five years ago. And the sequel is uh, the war I finally won, and they're both wonderful kids' books. Um, in the adult books. Um, I love a writer named Kate Morton, and she writes uh, all her books that I've read are historical. Oh, I like Kristen Hanna's books, and they're not uh, a few of them are historical, but not all. That's great. We've talked about this a little bit already, and I want to give you a chance if there's a specific moment or, or story that you want to share. What's an early experience that informed your writing life? One thing, uh, I guess, an early experience, I was born in West Texas. My father was an oil field worker in Oklahoma, and he was transferred to West Texas. And the family was not there much longer than long enough for me to be born. And they always, they were not complimentary about West Texas. They were from (laughs) the hills of eastern Oklahoma, and you can see what it it would be for them. Very different. So, um I came from a large family of siblings, and my oldest brother would always tell me, he was 15 years older than I, and he would tell me that he personally had pulled me from a tumbleweed on his way home from school. And he he brought me home from school, and the family kept me. And I liked that idea. I knew it wasn't true deep down inside, but I liked it. And he had a song on a record player. I think it was an old song at the time called Tumbling Tumbleweed. And I would sit outside his door and listen to that and think, those are my people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted them to be because I just had that. I was that kind of little girl. It was a lot more interesting to have been found in a tumbleweed than be someone's sixth child and I grew up and wrote a picture book. It's the only one I ever wrote for little kids called Tumbleweed Baby. And also those stories that I've talked about um, hearing in my grandmother's yard. I took my mother's family and my father's family and I combined them into one family and I changed a little bit. I wrote it down and I think it's probably the best book I ever wrote. Which one is that? It's called Fire in the Hills. It's no longer Mm -hmm. in print. But um, I really believe it's my best. Last question then, Anna. If you could have a meal with one character from fiction, who would it be and what would you talk about? It would be uh, Scout, 
from To Kill a Mockingbird. I read that book when I was on the cusp of adulthood, and it made such an impression on me. And it was right during the civil rights movement. And as I've often told young, tell young people, the only real shame of my life is that I wasn't out fighting for civil rights. Mm. I believed in it, but I didn't fight for it. And there were other kids of my race and my age who did. And there are ridiculous reasons why I wasn't. But I've always, as a real adult, been ashamed of that. Mm. And I would like to talk to Scout about what it was like in the 30s. How did it feel to her? Did she think it was wrong? She watched it. And she, you could obviously, as an adult looking back, she knew, but did she think it was wrong as a child? That's great. You know, it's interesting. Um, I think you are the fourth or fifth person who I've asked that question who has come up with one of the characters from that book. There's, oh, really? there's something about To Kill a Mockingbird that just seems to sit with everybody. Uh, and yeah. it's it's different characters and different approaches and different reasons why. But uh, but that's one that just keeps coming back up, which is, is really cool. It's interesting. So before we go, Anna, how can people find uh, out more about you and about your work? Uh, it's AnnaMyersAuthor.com. Just all written together. All right. And we'll make sure we uh, we link that in the show notes so people can find it. Go ahead. My email address is it's a Myers off uh, and then an underscore and the word author, A-U-T-H-O-R at yahoo.com. And I don't read manuscripts for people. But one thing I am very, very willing to do is answer questions or offer encouragement, especially to children's writers. And there's an organization and called Society of Children's Writers and Illustrators. I volunteered for them for 14 years as the leader of the Oklahoma group. I guess once you really get the teaching bug in your inside, <laughs> you never quite get over it. And I like to help beginning authors. So if there's any, well, any encouragement or any answers, contact me. That's great. Again, we'll be sure and link all of that in the show notes so that people can click right to it. Uh, and and make it easy to to get in contact with you and, and find your work. And it has been such a joy talking with you. I, I appreciate the time. Uh, thank you so much for your contribution to the writing life of Oklahoma. Well, thank you for doing this. This is quite a contribution. I noticed you'd interviewed my friend, Jerry Bennett. Yes. <laughs> Jerry is quite a character. I love him. I saw the uh, the picture he did of you for your birthday as the queen of Oklahoma writing. Uh, you guys make quite a pair. That's not one that I would have put together, but it's uh, it's fun to see the two of you together. Well, Anna, thanks so much for taking some time to sit down with me today. Thank you. Bye-bye. You heard Anna mention Ben and Jenny in our conversation. Ben is Ben Myers, former Oklahoma Poet Laureate and published author whose work is part of Volume 1 of Behind the Rain, an audio anthology of Oklahoma poetry that we released in June. You can hear Ben and other great Oklahoma poets by visiting okiebookcast.com slash behind the rain. Jenny is Oklahoma author Jenny Myers-Sane, who you might remember from way back in Chapter 7 of the bookcast. 
Jenny is the author of the award-winning YA novel Dark and Shallow Lies, and her new book, Secret So Deep, releases in September. You can connect with Jenny and her work through her website, JennyMeyerSane.com. Jenny is actually the first return guest of the bookcast as she's here to review her mom's book, Assassin by Anna Myers. Hi, I'm Jenny Myers-Sane, author of YA thrillers Dark and Shallow Lies and Secret So Deep, coming this September. And I'm here to review Assassin by four-time Oklahoma Book Award winner Anna Myers, who, full disclosure, also happens to be my mother. Assassin is a YA historical fiction novel that's built around the events preceding the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln by John Wilkes Booth. The story is told in alternating points of view by Booth and a 14-year-old girl named Arabella, who works as a seamstress for Mary Todd Lincoln. Bella isn't evil, but even people with the best intentions can end up doing the most terrible things, especially when they meet people with powers of persuasion almost beyond belief. People like John Wilkes Booth, the most charismatic and famous actor of his time. Bella soon finds herself obsessed with the charming Booth, and he slowly begins to use her fascination with him to draw her into his web. Booth intends to use Bella's position as a White House insider to help with his plot to kidnap President Lincoln. At first, she resists, but he is ultimately able to persuade her to betray her president and even turn her back on Stephen, the boy she's loved her entire life. Bella believes Booth is only trying to force the North to release Southern prisoners, and she also believes him when he says he will not harm her dear friend, Mr. Lincoln. But when the kidnapping plot fails, Booth's plans take a darker turn. Now he's hell-bent on assassinating the president, and he will stop at nothing, even if it means harming Bella in the process. My Mother has 20 published books, most of them historical fiction for middle grade and YA readers, and Assassin is probably my very favorite. I've spent most of my life working in the theater, so I really love all the theatrical elements and tie-ins with this story. I also love the history. Although the character of Bella is fictional, there's so much wonderful historical information here about John Wilkes Booth and all of the interesting events that led up to that fateful night at Ford's Theater. I also love all the romance in this story. There really is something here for everyone. If you love good historical fiction with really wonderful voice, interesting original characters, and tons of atmosphere and mood, definitely read as many books by Anna Myers as you possibly can. Well, that's it for Chapter 23 of the Okie Bookcast. I want to thank Anna Myers and Jenny Myers-Sane for being a part of the conversation today. And thank you for taking the time to check out the show. If you're enjoying the bookcast, take a second to let me know by posting a rating or review wherever you're listening and click that subscribe or follow button to make sure you don't miss an episode. I'll be back in two weeks with another great conversation and review. And in the meantime, be sure and connect with me on social media at Okie Bookcast and go find something good to read.